This is the Business Storytelling Podcast with Christoph Trapp, available on Google, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, and other podcast channels. Want to play it on your iPhone? Just ask Siri to play the Christoph Trapp Business Storytelling Podcast, also available on Alexa. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Hey, business storytellers. How's it going? Christoph Trapp here, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching for the live stream here on um, all the different channels, Twitch, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. I think that's all of them. Today's guest, you can already see him on the screen there. Uh, everybody came right on. Is Nick Goldner. Uh, and Nick is a AME sales and marketing director, uh, marketing leader. I heard him on, let me make sure I got it correctly, um, on the Content Marketing Engineered Podcast. That's uh, Nick um, Wendy Covey. That's her show. You should take a listen to that if you like as well. Good show. I, I really enjoy it uh, when I listen to it. So, Nick, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's going great. It's so, not as busy in these engineering and manufacturing companies as it was before all of COVID, but us sales and marketing people are working extra hard to try to, you know, fill the shop with work. That not that true? We're working extra hard, and um, certainly things have changed quite a bit. Um, so tell us about yourself. What do you do, and, and, and what, what's your role and philosophy when it comes to content? So, yeah, I'll, uh, I guess to... To talk about my story, I got to start a couple of generations ago. Uh, my grandfather's actually a machine tool inventor. He's a German immigrant. He started the family business, which is a, a um, engineering and manufacturing company. And the only reason why I bring that up is because I personally am the furthest thing from an engineer. I, uh, I'm not a math guy. I'm not a scientist. I was actually a fine artist. So when you grow up in this family that makes machines and engineers solutions for industry and you're thinking about paintings and you're really into music and things like that you kind of feel like the the black sheep uh and then you know as i as i got older and the company grew i started really falling in love with marketing which was the way to be a little bit more creative in the business and we weren't really very good at storytelling or marketing or any anything that I focus on now so uh, I went from a, a black sheep who didn't really fit into someone who had you know kind of a unique value proposition and um, was able to help the business with adding a new element and so so why is I mean when you say we, we aren't very good at storytelling I mean I hear that all the time and I see it all the time I mean, everybody, you know, they want to tell better stories, blah, blah, blah. And then all they talk about is how they're state of the art and, blah, you know, marketing gobbledygook um, out of both yeah. ears, right, and, and everything. Um, so, so what are you doing to tell better stories and how do you, how do you move things forward? Well, you know, I'll, I'll give you an industry-specific example. It's, it's kind of hard to describe mechanical things in a way that, attaches to you know how people make decisions mm -hmm. you know people make decisions with emotion and then they justify them with logic you've probably heard that in mm -hmm. one way or another yeah. and so you know coming from the engineering side we're we're logical thinkers we we always want to prove everything out we want to be about the data and those are all really valuable things but sometimes we get so focused on the details and so into the weeds that we don't stop and take a step back and think, okay, how's this going to impact somebody's life? And 
you know, what can I do to make my individual customer successful and help him overcome his challenges? And so, you know, one thing that we're doing here at, at our company is, you know, we, we make mechanical animations that show exactly how the product works. We're doing a lot more showing and a lot less telling. And um, it's pretty exciting to, to be able to like make, take CAD models and make high-end animations that tell a story uh, when before it was like, okay, hopefully they call us and our engineers can explain it to them. <laughs> right. And what's, so. interesting, what's interesting about that too is, I mean, there's different um, use cases for different types of content, right? I mean, so you're talking of about course. you make a drawing. Yeah, I, but I still see a lot of people who are, I mean, it's like you got to write something or you got to do this or you got to do that. But sometimes, I mean, I'm thinking about these podcasts, right? I mean, this is a fantastic tool to just get the message out there. And, and you know, once again, we're doing the live stream and then we're turning it into a podcast and then we might turn it into an article and it goes out on social, it goes out on email. But people can hear us, right? It's not We're not hiding behind a marketing team and we're both marketers, of course, but we're not hiding behind, you know, the 15-step approval process. People either like us or they don't like us, right? They can see us, they can hear us, they can make mm -hmm. their own, own decisions, right? Yeah, it's a way to, to be more conversational, a little bit more human than than you would if you were kind of trying to articulate something, you know, scientific with like a white paper or something like that. I'd rather have a conversation on a podcast um, with a couple engineers and let someone listen in and be, in a, be a fly on a wall. That's, that's in a, kind of a exciting vehicle to deliver a message in a new way. And I liked how you hit on repurposing it in a bunch of different ways too. You know, the example of explaining a mechanical process with an animation, we don't just make an animation and that's the end. We, right. we take that animation, it's, it's embedded into a blog post where we dive deeper and explain, okay, what you see here enables this and enables that. Um, and we use the still images from the animation on our web pages. Mm -hmm. um, we send it out, you know, via email, like, Hey, check out this new thing to our customers. So we take one piece of content. I call it like an application animation story yeah. and we spread it out in as many ways as we possibly can. And it's proven to be really valuable for us. Fantastic. And so one of the things, of course, this is what, what struck my interest. And I, I have these podcasts running in the background, right? I mean, pretty much the whole day. Uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes I'm writing. And so I'm not really, truly paying like attention to every word that's being said on every podcast that's running. It's kind of sometimes it's background noise and sometimes I pay more attention. But you talked about the concept of thinking of content as a product. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so let's dive into that. What does that mean, and and, and wh why might that be important? So one of one of the problems that kind of brought me here to where I'm at in my career is I was running the marketing department at an engineering company, and our job was to describe the value of everything else, to describe the value of our machines or of our our talented engineers. And marketing didn't really have its own value; it, it didn't have its own product. We were just there as a cost to help sell a different product. And, um, you know, I studied a lot of content marketers. I learned a lot from Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, and they were always talking about, you know, the product of content and that your content should have inherent value separate from what you're actually selling. And there was a couple of guys in the industry who started a podcast called Making Chips. And, you know, I literally was just like going to mow my yard and I was like, okay, manufacturing and machining podcast. And that's what popped up. And I didn't find them talking about their own company or their own products and services. Uh -huh. 
their whole mission was just to equip and inspire other manufacturing leaders and to create a community of, of people who are running manufacturing companies and trying to get to the next level. And because it wasn't self-serving, because the, the podcast was valuable in and of itself, not because they had a business, they were able to get a really large audience and they were able to grow their brands and then kind of indirectly were able to grow their businesses because of that. And so I was just like, these guys are doing what I, everything I'm learning about. These guys are real content marketers. They actually have a product. And, um, you know, one thing led to another and I, I reached out to them as a fan and then they liked some of the content that I had created because we put a lot more into it than most people in our industry do. And so they were like, man, that video was great. You should be on our podcast. Well, I became a guest on the podcast and then we, we just built a relationship and a few years go by and they were like, you know, we just decided to start a podcast because we thought it would be fun and, you know, it would be, it would help us grow and it would help us learn public speaking and, um, you know, maybe build some valuable connections. But we never in a million years thought that it would become like one of the leading podcasts in the entire industry. And so we're busy, like we both run manufacturing companies. And I was like, well, I have this marketing department and all we do is we're like a service center to the sales team. We don't have our own value. My goal has always been to branch out and, and have our own product and maybe even have like a marketing agency for this industry because we know it so well. But I either have to start from scratch or I got to find a great partner. And they were like, well, we need all the resources that you have in your department. And I thought, well, I'm going to need your brand and your audience because that's exactly who we would create this business for. So what we ended up doing is just forming a joint venture and kind of merging the two powers together. And that's how the business Making Chips was was formed from the Making Chips podcast. That's so it's kind that, of a weird way. <laughs> I mean, most everything is nowadays, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I want to uh, dive into this topic with you a little bit here more. How do you then um, turn it into, uh, I mean, business success? But I, I want to show you something. And it is a numbers game, right? And on my blog, mm -hmm. uh, you can see that here in the middle of the screen, uh, AuthenticStorytelling.net. So I don't want to say I'm a, I'm a social media blogger, writer, but, it, but social media at the end of the day is important to content marketers, right? Um, so, so every once in a while, what I do is I find a problem um, or something new happens and I blog about it, right? And nobody else has blogged about it. So this is an article... Uh, Instagram Reels, audio is not working. So if you're going to do Instagram Reels as a marketer, you probably want to know. And my numbers show me that people are searching for this. I mean, this article, Nick has a chance to get 100,000 views. It's like at 60,000 views already. And so, you know, who knows? It might, it will stop. Just, just being the first one who described the solution to that problem. Yep, exactly. And I'm not sure I've seen it anywhere else. Honestly, it ranks number one. So, but my point is, I'm very helpful in this article. I don't sell anything. I mean, I did add ads on there just because it is actually 60,000 views. And then here's the other thing what I did. And this is interesting to me. I put a related podcast episode on here, you know, um, and that podcast episode has had like 30,000 listens, something like that, 30,000 downloads. And then watch this. Wow. I'm, I'm just giving you the details. Here's how to fix it. This is how you do it. I tell you, right? I'm not making you give me your email or anything you know, like that. And then there's a new thing. The redesign seems to fix it too. I don't even have this, but my travel account has this and it seems to be working. So I think they're working on it. And now get mm -hmm. this. 
Um, so then I embedded a podcast with Corey Walker about Instagram strategy, and she wrote the book Instagram for Dummies, and her podcast has now has seen like 5,000 uh, 5, downloads. And then here's the interesting thing. Uh, and then she says, hey, I also noticed a bump in sales for the book, right? And she goes, I wonder if that's because of the ad. And so I put the ad there. So my point is, very informational article. So when everybody always says, oh my goodness, why do we want to be informational? Why do we want to share stuff? Why, whatever. How is it making us a million bucks today? It can work when you actually drive some traffic, when you actually have people paying attention to you, right? I mean, you've seen that too, I assume. Yeah, ultimately, it's all about the audience. And if you're not able to generate an audience, then your content's not really as effective as it, as it could be. So you were able to generate an audience to solve that problem. And then through that audience, you were able to help them with other other things. And it led to an increase in sales for your book, or whatever <clears throat> it was, whatever your ad was promoting. I have a kind of a similar example one of our business units at the engineering company, Advanced Machine and Engineering, that, that I mentioned earlier, makes high production sawing machines, big circular saw blades that cut through metal. And we don't really get into the blades as much. We're, we're the machinery manufacturer. But one of the biggest challenges in that industry is the blades get dull and um, they wear out right away and it becomes really expensive. And a lot of the reason for that is just because people don't know how to take care of the, the blades and they don't know how to diagnose what's wrong with the blades. So I wrote this article like these 12 mistakes will destroy your circular saw blades or something like that. And um, it's like the third most trafficked page on our website because so many people have problems with the blades. Now, we're the machinery manufacturer. We don't really sell the blades, but it just establishes that we know what can create that issue and oftentimes it is something wrong with your machine that's making your blade wear out. So um, that's kind of a, a more industry-specific example. Obviously, you're in, in the storytelling space, and yours was about a problem with Instagram. Mine happened to be about a problem with circular sawing, but the premise is the same. So obviously, I mean, you, you create content, too, and your team does on a, on a regular schedule. And I grew up in newspapers, so it's probably even worse for me. Um, but that article you just mentioned, how long ago did it publish? Oh, geez, must have been three, four years ago. And it still it's, it still performs, right? So it's, it's still it, one of the top trafficked pages on my site, yeah. So tell me about, so I've actually been in a lot of projects where people say, well, how come this old article is still ranking so high, blah, 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 blah. And, and I know where they're coming from. I actually have some empathy because as a journalist, right, it's about what are we producing today? What are we doing today? And... And I mean, think about it, right? We're doing a podcast. There's four episodes a week. There's a couple live streams a week. To an extent, I'm doing that too. What's the latest thing? But then you got these older articles that are performing. Um, how do we get people to understand that that's value, that that's not bad, that that's not an indication that the current strategy is good or bad? It just means that it takes time to perform, Right. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm not one of these guys who understands everything about SEO, but I know age is a factor and mm -hmm. age can help you. So the longer you've had a page published that's consistently be, been getting traffic, you know, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it tells Google that, hey, this has been valuable for five straight years. This has solved a problem for five straight years or however long ago you published it. Therefore, and it's still getting traffic and it's still getting value. So therefore, like, we're going to rank this higher than someone who just published something today. You know, it has more authority. 
it's like a doctor who's been practicing medicine for 10 years versus a doctor who started 10 days ago. You know, he's, it's got, it's had longer time to like prove itself out. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting. I, um, I can also see why sometimes that's, uh, that's a new thing to think about, right? How do you feel about the content? But at the end of the day, it's, it's the, um, it's everything. It's the, what do you call it? Um, it's the totality of your work, right? Are you driving people? Are they paying attention? Are you ranking for things? And overnight success um, takes longer than overnight, right? Yeah. And then the other thing is, you know, when you were giving your example, you were showing how you were updating it as you were learning more. Yeah. So even though like it, the page was published, you're doing things to the page to keep it relevant, to keep to keep it fresh. And I know that sends signals to Google like, hey, take a look at this again. Maybe re-index this page because yep. there's new stuff on here. But see, that took some getting used to as well, Nick, because as a journalist, what would I do for a newspaper, right? I write an article and something new happens. I write a new article. And I actually did this today uh, because so LinkedIn Stories came out. And um, now I found out how you can get it as a brand or how you can at least tell that you have it. So instead of writing a new article, I just updated the old one and said, here's how you know. Uh, and I, mm. you know, I updated it. So that's, it takes a little bit of getting used to. So, but when you think about content as a product, I'm on board, you convinced me. I mean, fantastic, you're a great debater. Uh, no argument there <laughs> at all. Um, but let's talk about the executives. I mean, I can see some pushback on what's the ROI, what's the, I mean, whatever. And we've had shows, uh, or I don't know if we had them yet, but. We have a show coming up that was not a live stream with Casey Stanton talking about the ROI and how you have to have a ramp up period, right? So if you mm -hmm. think you can have ROI on day one of a marketing strategy, uh, probably not going to set that up for success. But, but how do we think about ROI if we think about content as a product? What's, what's your thinking there? the executive mindset would say, okay, what does this cost me and how, how many sales does it produce, right? And then you, you can figure out your, your ROI or your payback period. So that's how a lot of decisions are made. You know, we need people to be thinking that kind of way, but there are so many more lines of value in a great content product than just sales. You could say like, what does it cost you to train your employees? What does it cost you to educate your customers? What's the opportunity cost if your employees don't understand something? You know, what's your opportunity cost if your customers don't understand your value proposition? Um, what, what's yeah. your opportunity cost if, if you have no audience um, versus if you have a massive audience because you have valuable content? You know, so there's, there's other lines of value. There's cost-saving value. There's market research value. Think of this. Um, you know, this is an example that the guys at Content Marketing Institute always, always use, but babycenter.com my wife was on that website all the time when, hmm. when we had a child and you know she had a stuffy nose or whatever and she she would end up on babycenter.com just researching okay why is my child's nose running for three days in a row or whatever mm -hmm. it might be you know johnson and johnson owns babycenter.com and you don't know that until you go to the terms and condition at the bottom of the page but Johnson & Johnson knows what mothers are searching for what content is getting traction what the biggest problems are so what's the value in all the market research that they have 
knowing because of this big content platform and because of the engagement they get with their audience, hey, this would be a great product to launch or this would be a great way to to position this product because so many mothers are dealing with this problem. So I think the key to the executive is not to be myopic and to think, you know, big picture, okay, is there more value than just cash value like getting a sale, you know? And I think if, if your marketing department knows what they're doing or your marketing agency can support you mm-hmm. or just the function of marketing is good, then you will be creating value. But ultimately, it just comes down to understanding your audience and knowing what they value or at least what they're struggling with. You know, I, I also think sometimes um, we, we've gone too far the other side of the spectrum, right? I mean, it used to be companies spend a lot more money on, let's call it out, print ads and billboards and all that stuff. And that was super expensive, right? And there was mm-hmm. no measurement. We didn't know anything. Like, you know, the CEO saw the billboard driving home at night and they thought, oh, that's working great because I just saw it. Um, but now we're trying, some companies are trying to measure every little bitty thing. And I'm not, a, I'm not opposed to measuring. I mean, I use UTM, uh, you know, campaigns and all yeah. those things to see where it's coming from. But... Uh, you have to be aware it's, you know, it's a long road ahead and it's, uh, you got to offer value. And at the end of the day, maybe it's not even as expensive as running those billboards and running those print ads. And I mean, I remember when I was in publishing, Nick, the the salespeople said, well, we used to go on a call and, you know, sign a $150,000 print ad contract. I mean, how many times do ad salespeople sign that kind of deal, you know, for like a, that size company anymore? Um, so it's just, it's, it's about putting it into context. Um, so how do you feel about content production? Uh, like how much content is the right amount and, and, and how do you, how do you move forward? And um, as far as content production, I've been learning a lot this past uh, year. There's a, there's a company called Agile Sherpas. There's a woman yeah. called Andrea Fryer. She's been on the she's show. Like yep. the Agile marketing guru. Oh, she has. Okay. So she's like been a digital mentor to me. And she's training our agency director on, you know, to be a better agile marketer. But, you know, it's it's so intuitive, everything that she's teaching uh, in the agile marketing process, because it's just in line with how lean manufacturing works. It's about a pull system. It, it You know, it's about uh, consistent flow through um, like throughput through the uh, production process. It's about measuring along the way and, and many little experiments instead of one big bang campaign that you may not be able to measure. And so my background in, you know, my father's an industrial engineer, my brother's a continuous improvement guru, just by osmosis, I ended up learning a lot about it. And then I found this way, um, this agile marketing way that just lined up with all of the continuous improvement um, knowledge that I had. And I was like, okay, we need to apply this to what we're doing. And so it was, uh, it was really fun to learn. It's, it's fun to continue to learn. It's fun to adopt, you know, agile best practices into our flow. And I think the other thing coming from the manufacturing side, you know, I was talking to my team the other day, like in a, in a factory, in, in a machine shop, when you're, when you're running a job and the first process is finished, the second process is finished, the third process is finished, and then it goes on to the last machine and that machinist screws something up, right? He scraps the part. That, there's like thousands of dollars lost in, in time and in the material itself, and you have to start all the way over. Now you have an upset customer. And I think with our agency, I used that as an example, like 
if content is the product, then for us, if, if we're doing discovery and then we've got a creative brief and then we're writing a draft and then it gets all the way to the end and we weren't in line with what the, the audience needed or what the client needed. And at the end, they're like, I, I don't like it. I don't want to publish it. It should bother us just as much as it bothers that machinist knowing I just scrapped a $2,000 part because, you know, our clients pay us for, for mm-hmm. the results. They pay us for that part, that precision product to be to tolerance and in spec and ready to go and then deliver value in the end, you know, in the end product. And so I use manufacturing concepts all the time in our own like agency to inspire us to think like this is a product and we do need to have quality built into the system and we do need to have uh, experiments and continuous improvement. And, you know, the more we think like a manufacturer, the better we're going to be. Yeah. Because this is about content being a product, right? (laughs) So, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I I put, I threw up the the URL there for Andrea's book, Andrea Freire. Um, I don't remember what episode she was on, but it was a, a few ago, ctrap.online forward slash Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A. Uh, that goes right over to a latest book on agile marketing. Uh, what's interesting about that comment too, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're, you're doing, you're practicing agile marketing because, you know, it, it used to be you go back and you do your project and then you come back and you present it, right? Here it is, uh, ready to go. Um, but there's just too many variables, right? I mean, you have to figure out, um, the, the personalities, right? Then we, we have the nitpickers, we have the strategists, we have the people who want to be in the know, but they're probably not going to give you an opinion. Um, you know, there's all those different things. So you got to figure out who, who do you work with, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. uh, what's your advice there? I think it's to be iterative, you know, mm-hmm. and to like think incrementally. So, um, you know, send out like a minimum viable product or minimum viable piece of content. Just, Hey, is this on the right track and get early feedback? And then they send it back. And is this on the right track? And instead of putting hours and hours and weeks and weeks of time in, and then being like, okay, here, here's your $10,000 project. Uh, Do you like it? And they're like, no, that missed the mark. You know, you're (laughs) able to know kind of what the mark is if you're including them in the process. And, and, you know, that's one of the reasons why we have sprints and, in the yeah. agile process, you know, we deliver increments of projects every few weeks. We do like two week long sprints and we'll deliver an increment each time. So if, if I'm looking at a, a two month project, there's, you know, every two weeks, there's all sorts of periods in between the delivery of that project where I get the opportunity to review it and make sure it's on track and give feedback so that when we get to the end, it's closer to the bullseye than it would be if they excluded me from the process. So, and what's, I mean, we've all had the, the, the team members or clients or whatnot that uh, they're just hard to get back to you. Right. And they, they, for some reason, you're not top of the list. How, how do you work with that? I mean, do you just have to have a, a contract that says within this time frame here's what we do? Um, or, yeah, or that, you... that's always a challenge. Um, gosh, I wish I had a good answer for how to solve that challenge. The one thing that I work with, with our people on is like, just like you need to know your audience when you're creating content for them. You need yeah. to know your clients when you're doing that. And there's a lot of people like me who are busy, like my email inbox, things may sit for a day or two. Um, if someone slacks me, I might not get back to them. If they're using Trello, I might not get back to them right away. But if someone texts me or calls my phone, I'll probably get back to them right away. So it just comes down to like, 
knowing their preferred communication channel and then mm -hmm. adopting to serve your customers instead of forcing them to adopt to your way. Uh, that's, that's one thing that can be really helpful, but I don't think that solves the whole problem. And to be honest, I don't have the answers there. You want to, I always say like your, your, your investment equals your velocity. The, the more you invest, the, the quicker you can get towards your goal. And, you know, if, if they do put up an investment and then they don't give feedback, like that can slow how, how quickly you can serve your client in an agile marketing way, you know? And so then it's like, okay, well, you spent all this money, but I don't get any feedback. So how do we deliver on this? And then, you know, fill up the next sprint with more projects. So um, that's a challenge we're still trying to figure out. The, the one thing I do, so my, my daughter is a pitcher and uh, I just set up sophietrap.com. Um, which is probably not of that much interest to most people listening. But um, basically, I sent something to my wife and I said, I'm publishing this at this time. If you if you have any changes, let me know. Do you know what I mean? So like it's whether yeah. she's replying to me or not, it's publishing. And, you know, if you have and she actually had that's some really, really valuable. <laughs> yeah, yeah but, we could say like, hey, look, here, here's kind of the schedule we agreed to. We we're keep trying to get feedback. We haven't gotten any. We think it's good. Um, it's going to publish at the end of this, whether you, you know, give us feedback or not. So, yeah. And she so, actually, yeah. <laughs> she, she, she did have good feedback and got back to me actually quicker than I, I needed her to. Um, but, you know, in the digital world, I mean, I see it all the time. I was looking at an email campaign earlier. I signed up for just to test it again. And there was, it wasn't a real typo, but I didn't like how it was worded, you know? So I went back and I just yeah. changed it. Like, you know, you have an article that publishes and something doesn't wrap correctly or whatever, you just fix it. So just because I publish it doesn't mean we can't change it later. So that's different from 15 years ago. Yeah, when it's, I put it's up a not billboard. on that billboard, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. So how do, pe how do companies, Nick, how do they get going uh, to think of content as a product? Like what's the, the biggest barrier they need to overcome out of the gate? Any, any idea? Well, I think just like your your marketing program you need to understand your value beyond the product you're selling or the service you're providing and so i think you start there too with, with you know with your business needs to understand its value beyond the product so once you understand that um you know for example a lot of people like to say well people hire us because of our expertise mm -hmm. or because of you know our experience solving this problem or we're the authority in the area and then i would ask well, well how do you know um well, because we've gone through these many challenges, like, well, how does your customer know? Right. You know, like, well, let's start there. Let's start talking about those challenges and let's start, you know, describing what it feels like to be in that challenge and what it feels like to overcome it. Um, so I think to answer your question, it's understanding your value beyond your product. And then if you do that, you can, you're a lot more likely to deliver content that you're, that will resonate with your audience. Of course, you have to have a good understanding of your audience as well. Yeah, don't even get me started on that. I, I've, I've had a lot of people over the years say, oh, yeah, we know my, I know my audience. I know them. I know them. How do you know them? Right? Oh, because mm -hmm. I've done it for a long time. Okay, who are they? Um, so that's, um, it's always a challenge. Um, maybe you have some tips to share on, on how do you figure out who your audience is. My favorite example still is a healthcare company I worked with uh, outside Chicago, and they call their persona Susan and literally they're in meetings and they say Susan wouldn't care Christoph. Oh, Susan would love that. Do you know what I mean? Like they talked yeah. talked about the audience yeah, they, like the they person. personalize it. 
um, that is a that is a good way to understand it is you know to develop personas. But I think the problem with personas is people insert what they think the persona thinks instead yeah. of hearing directly from the persona. And also, like if you are going to be doing persona research, I think it's really valuable to not have it come from you, the business owner or mm-hmm. the salesperson, because you know people aren't going to be as candid as they you know to you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. So I think there's a lot of value in hiring like a third party or just finding somebody else who's not you to get feedback and then bring it back to you and then be like, okay, that's actually what Susan thinks, not what I think Susan thinks. Right. So I think, yeah, I mean, it has to, if it's all about audience, it has to start with your audience and understanding your audience. And then once you understand your audience and kind of what their main pain points are and, you know, what they value and where they consume content, what type of content they consume, then you're, you, you've got a lot of the foundational work if, if you do want to build like a content as a product or content platform. And I, I certainly think everyone should consider it. And I, I mean, really, quite honestly, it's a numbers game. The bigger your audience, right, the more relevant it is, um, the more it will mm-hmm. help everything. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's just kind of how it goes. Yeah, I think that's that's true to a certain degree, too. Okay. Like, so there's got to be some quality to, to your audience. And yep. you do, I think you do want to kind of find a niche. Yep. So like storytelling matters to absolutely everyone. It should. Uh, storytelling is like how we communicate as humans. So I imagine you've got a huge audience for this podcast. You know, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile. You've got a lot of really impressive credentials. And there's a lot of people who understand storytelling is important. You know, for us at Making Chips, our mission is to equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. And so we're not trying to talk to like everyone in manufacturing. We're trying to talk to the people who are in the driver's seat of manufacturing businesses, you know, trying to figure out how to keep the lights on during COVID and trying to figure out how to grow when your sales guys can't get in the door anymore. And and all sorts of real challenges that me and my partners have, you know, as we're, you know, running our own companies and hosting this podcast. So our our audience probably doesn't do the numbers that this podcast will, Mm -hmm. but we know that the audience is the manufacturing leader. And so for us, like as long as we have a a large audience of that target, then it's important. Then, then it's a numbers game. But if we were to just kind of create random content and just try to, you know, like motivational speaking podcasts or whatever, where it's like, yeah, you know, believe in yourself. Like we might get really great numbers, but it wouldn't be who we're trying to target. It wouldn't right. be who this brand is for. Yeah, that's why you so. got to know who you're after. And, and also how big your audience is, right? Uh, when Ben Smith was on the show and he, he basically created a community for people playing the fiddle. I'm, I'm totally oversimplifying, but basically, right? And I said to yeah. Ben, I said, Ben, how many people do this? And he said, probably 50,000. So, so his audience, right? He knows roughly how he knows big his, his audience yeah, is. Total addressable market of fifty thousand. So, so, yeah. but it's a tight knit community, not necessarily my area. But that doesn't mean you know we don't all have to play in every in every community. Nick, it was my pleasure to have you on the show. Great insights. I hope people take it to heart. Uh, we do have, uh, I believe, we have the um, one of the URLs already in the show notes. Uh, making chips. I don't remember what it was right now. What's that URL again? Yeah, makingchips.com, yeah. And we're on all the popular podcasts, podcatchers or whatever people call them, if you want to listen. Um, we do a lot more than just the podcast. Like I said, we've kind of got this whole little media company. If you're a manufacturing leader, if you're in that bullseye, you'll find it interesting. And if not, 
uh, you know, maybe you play the fiddle and you should check out that other guy's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's why the, you know, knowing your audience and knowing your niche is so important. Uh, Nick, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for sharing your insights. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You bet. Thanks, everyone, for listening and tuning in. Uh, Again, we were live streaming on all the channels with Switcher Studio. Trab One gets you your first month off. If you want to try it, it's a great tool to produce them. Uh, And, of course, available on all the podcast channels as well. 19 channels now, I think. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time.